Good day, gentlemen. Allow me to introduce ourselves. I am Professor Percy. This is Dr. Marmalade. At your service. And this is Lord Reginald. Charmed. You guys talk funny. Say more words. Cue the intro! A SpongePod Squarecast, the only podcast that accepts all goofies, goobers, and goofy goobers alike. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and it's a pleasure to have you here as we are continuing our sail through the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Quick shameless plug for my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, as episode 42 debuted a whole new video aspect to the show that I hope you'll enjoy. I will say that after episode 52 of This Week in Nickelodeon History, there will be a bit of a change to the show, uh, a little bit of an aspect change. But alongside this ship of covering SpongeBob SquarePants in its entirety, I will always have another ship dedicated to celebrating the history of Nickelodeon in some form. So stay tuned, and that's spelled with two O's, Four more. Not just cartoons. Chips Ahoy! Obviously, a little uh, play on the popular cookie brand Chips Ahoy is the first half of the 70th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on May 5th, 2006. It was storyboard directed by Luke Brookshire and Tom King, who wrote it alongside Stephen Banks. Our animation director is Andrew Overtoom, our technical director is Vincent Waller, and our supervising producer is Paul Tibbet. <gasps> Yay! If you can go back to this time when this episode came out, Sandy Cheeks was the only character that lived above the ocean, lived on land, and, and came to exist with all the other sea creatures underwater. We have experienced other land creatures within SpongeBob SquarePants. I'm not going to deny that. But puppets of seagulls and parrots are not necessarily, you know, animals being animated within Bikini Bottom, within that SpongeBob SquarePants style. Up to this point, we've only had Sandy. So when this title card pops up, which is one of my favorite title cards, I think, in SpongeBob SquarePants up to this point, it would it would be in my top ten. It's such a unique style to bring in the Barrel of Monkeys aesthetic behind the logo. But right when that pops up, let's say you hadn't seen any of the promotional material for this episode, so you were not expecting other animals to ever come down to Bikini Bottom, Chimps Ahoy! is pretty much on the nose of, we are guaranteed new creatures in this world. And right out of the gate, I am excited to see that it's monkeys. I am not going to say that monkeys, apes, gorillas, primates are my favorite animal, but when I think about it, I have such a unsaid love for the entire species. They are so intelligent and unique and you can find countless examples across YouTube and many other research over the extraordinary 
things that gorillas and and just um, the bonobos and and apes and orangutans and monkeys, every certain species of monkey, they're all interesting and unique, and it's it's fascinating. When I think about it, I, I can't think of any other animal that has probably entertained me more from YouTube clips than what monkeys have been able to do. And that's not just, you know, the smart, intelligent ways they're able to communicate and express their emotions with human beings these days. It also extends to the humorous videos or the the somewhat interesting videos of monkeys trading items with patrons at, at zoos or at sanctuaries. And it's just it's fascinating to see the bartership happen between uh, uh, an orangutan and a human being. And it just happened right in front of your eyes. And then you have those videos where, of course, they are misbehaving in the best ways possible. I don't want to be in the crosshairs of a, of a monkey throwing poop, but if I see it happening, I'm going to laugh at it. I'm going to chuckle at it. It's just an experience that we all need to just, you, you, even if you're the one taking it, you need to eat that for the moment, not actually ingest it, but just for the um, use of the phrase, just eat it, not the weird out. You just need to take the poop in the face, accept it, we all laugh, haha, ha, and it's a great moment, and even the monkey knows it's a funny moment. That's why monkeys do that. Why am I even bringing up monkeys throwing poop? Well, that is completely at the fault of these three extraordinary gentlemen who show up in Bikini Bottom in this episode. Who am I talking about? Three new characters that are teased at the beginning of this episode, but I'm going to talk about them now, especially their voice actors. Dr. Marmalade, Lord Reginald, and Professor Percy. Three characters from the, I want to get this correct, the Treedome Enterprises Incorporated. Essentially, these are the benefactors behind the company in which Sandy exists in Bikini Bottom. And they are brought to life by three very popular faces within the British comedy scene, Three out of the four main cast members of the popular cult hit British comedy show, The Young Ones, Rick Mayall, Christopher Ryan, and Nigel Planner, all brought in, I'm sure, from some fans of The Young Ones to voice these three simians. Professor Percy, our first chimp on deck, was brought to life by Christopher Ryan. Lord Reginald was voiced by Rick Mayall, and Dr. Marmalade, my... Favorite of the three, from his design to his voice, was given life by Nigel Planner. If you haven't ever seen The Young Ones, it certainly has its stake in a certain time in a British comedy. And if you watch any sort of British comedy at all, and you haven't ever experienced The Young Ones, it's only 12 episodes, so I can absolutely tell you it's well worth diving down that rabbit hole. So there were clearly some fans of the young ones behind the scenes of SpongeBob SquarePants to voice these three characters who go completely unnamed for the majority of this episode, but their presence is looming throughout. The opening of this episode is actually just a normal SpongeBob SquarePants opening that you would expect SpongeBob and Patrick waiting for the mailman, which we have seen plenty of times. And of course, SpongeBob's ever disappearing, reappearing mailbox and they're just waiting for the mail. 
52 box tops were sent in from SpongeBob to earn himself an official Goofy Goober back scratcher. And this is a moment in SpongeBob history. Mark this. This is the first time that Goofy Goober in any capacity is mentioned within the show since the movie's release. That's a long period of time. And supposedly, and I hope to get more confirmation down the road on on how this worked, but apparently some of the aspects of Bikini Bottom that were created specifically for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie at one point in time were tangled up in some sort of rights limbo, and it was only through clever means at, at various aspects throughout the show in in these like early seasons after the movie that they referenced Goofy Goober, and they weren't allowed to use you know the location until later on when all of the rights started ending up in all of the right locations, and then it became okay, you can start using characters and aspects that were used in that film in the TV series, and that's where we started seeing Goofy Goober's Undersea Party Boat as a more permanent location fixture for more episodes. But at this point in time, this was a completely new thing. Goofy Goober outside of the movie wasn't ever mentioned. Look how many episodes we've had since the movie's creation that Goofy Goober wasn't mentioned at all. And I'm not saying that I would want it to become a regular aspect in terms of every episode. There has to be a name drop or a picture of him in the background. But this was certainly a moment when it was first mentioned from a new episode. Here it is. The first time that the movies are starting to be incorporated into the the show a little bit. This back scratcher, though, looks eerily similar to SpongeBob's arm, leading to a a very funny joke with Patrick that I I forgot about. The second I saw the back scratcher, I remembered the joke that was coming up, but I didn't necessarily remember that joke in its entirety, if that makes sense. There was actually another joke later on in this episode that I'm glad— that I forgot about, so that when it popped up again, I was able to enjoy it in a completely new light. It was amazing. I love when that happens. That's a part of the reason why I wanted to do this show. It's not like I can't put on these episodes and enjoy them without having a podcast, but now that there's a reason to go in order and enjoy these and actually look for parts of the show that I may not be paying attention uh, if I'm just casually watching it, It's just enjoyed in an entirely new way. And when a joke like that is forgotten and gets to just pop up again, it's great. It's wonderful. That's that's why it's great to let shows sometimes go away for a while so that you can come back to them and re-enjoy them. It's not where I know there's some people out there who um, watch or binge watch shows that are, are so long-running, that by the time they they end the series, it's been so long since they've watched some of those earlier seasons that it's okay for them to just loop back around again. And then they're just perpetually watching the same show over and over and over again. And I can't do that. I like to savor moments, and I like things to actually last. I like to enjoy things, and I don't like to overdo the same episodes over and over and over again. So even though I have favorite episodes of SpongeBob, especially now, I certainly don't want to overuse that, that, uh, that drug of nostalgia. 
I was trying to say anything else but that, but that is what it is, a drug of nostalgia. I don't want to overuse that, so I want to keep those sparingly. And it's also avoiding those classic episodes of those go-tos you would want to watch when you're not feeling so well that lead to moments like this where you forget jokes and episodes you have seen, and then when they hit, it's an entirely new experience you get to have for yourself in this moment in time. It's all about the present. So once SpongeBob and Patrick get their back scratcher, they of course want to show it off to Squidward, who expertly sends them immediately away from his house. He has learned a new technique of keeping SpongeBob and Patrick away from him. He's using some sort of jutsu or some sort of quirk inside of his house that is keeping SpongeBob and Patrick away, and they completely divert their attention from Squidward to Sandy, and off to Sandy Cheeks they go. When Chimps Ahoy comes up, I don't think you immediately know it's a Sandy Cheeks episode, but I feel like there's that assumption that if there are any other land creatures coming down to Bikini Bottom, they are coming down to interact with Sandy, whose tree dome is trashed beyond belief in a way that it makes it look like a video game level. Sometimes when they have had Sandy's tree dome as a playable level in a SpongeBob video game, it's usually more sprung out and complex than it ever appears to be in the show, and there's usually more junk or other characters. And just seeing all this debris on the ground just reminds me of something that could be a level within a SpongeBob SquarePants video game. But when they show up, Sandy is stressed out more than I think we've ever seen her. Even when she was homestruck for Texas, she's explaining that her benefactors, her bosses, are coming down this afternoon to see her progress on what she's been doing. It's revealed that Sandy's whole purpose this entire time in Bikini Bottom was to just make inventions. It was to put a creature inside of a, of a dome underwater, basically how the, the fish out of water scenario happens in reverse, and hey, in this new environment, what are you able to produce? Which isn't necessarily unheard of, maybe not in this exact way of somebody going underwater, in a, in a dome environment and seeing what they invent, but there have been examples in history of benefactors, certainly smart, educated benefactors, coming across incredibly gifted individuals, and I'm not going to say take advantage of them, but certainly uh, use their intellect to then make profit off of them. That certainly has happened, and we will get into that later in the episode, but Sandy is just distraught over any of the inventions she's been able to produce since her time in Bikini Bottom has started. Apparently, nothing is worth showing to these three individuals, and their their presence is is looming over this entire episode. There's like a rain cloud over Sandy, and she is beyond worried. It's it's actually troubling. Seeing some of the inventions she was able to come up with and then would think that they're just not good enough. It's almost like she has imposter syndrome, which is a real thing that I have to say even I feel sometimes where really creative people 
produce, and I'm not calling myself really creative. I'm not overinflating. I'm I'm just now this is me objectively telling you what imposter syndrome is. <laughs> really creative people tend to, and maybe that's me doing it right now. I don't know. Really creative people are not able to really appreciate what they make. Think about a painter who has incredible talent with all of the decisions they decide to put on the canvas. And once it's done, wows everybody who sees it, but the person who spent the time making it. Or they look at it and they don't feel like they're the ones who made that. It's just a terrible inner voice that I can tell you I've I've had sometimes. There are things that I've made in my past when I was more focused on canvas work that I would step back from. And even once it was done, I would be amazed. I would see the end result so many times and still be hesitant to dive into a new piece every single time. And it certainly has happened with podcasts. There are episodes that once it's done, I feel really good about, you know, the way I came across or the way the episode was produced. And then once it's out in the atmosphere, it's almost like a feeling of being back at square one. Once you're back recording that next episode, it, it might be difficult to reclaim that that energy that you may have had by the end of an episode or or once it's done being edited and then it's it's lost and you just got to find that again. I don't necessarily say that I have it the the worst because I, I certainly have met creative friends who have made some extraordinary pieces of artwork that unfortunately the world will probably never get to see because the artists aren't able to appreciate it themselves. They'll they'll work on something. It'll legitimately, objectively be an amazing piece of art. And then they have a feeling like it's worthless. I don't want to show the world this. And then it gets tossed away or tossed into the garbage, burned in some cases I've seen. And it's certainly an empowering moment for some to be able to have a talent and then take it away. But I always I always feel for those who aren't able to truly appreciate what they make because on some level I, I certainly deal with that. And if you're out there, if you're out there, you're not alone. You are certainly not alone. And just know if you have any sort of creatability in you, you want to make something, then don't down yourself. There's always... There's always going to be somebody out there amazed at your abilities. So then just focus on those people. Make stuff for them. Make stuff for yourself. Sandy, though, is not able to appreciate any of what she was able to create, including among some of the inventions, I'm not sure why she didn't bring up from previous seasons, a helmet that gives the user the ability to understand the thoughts of whatever nut they're holding. Various kinds of nuts, peanuts, walnuts, etc. And uh, this is an episode in which it's one of the, the few that I can think of where for the entirety of the episode, SpongeBob and Patrick's tree dome helmets have been turned upside down, which isn't the first time we've seen them like this. It's happened for various visual gags in the past, but this is certainly... The first time I can think the entire episode they were like that. 
where it's weird for a moment. What I was noticing and appreciating in this episode was the animation of the water near the top of the helmet. When they're wearing the helmets like we're used to seeing them, there isn't necessarily a reason to animate the water moving so much near the opening of the top of the helmet. There isn't one. But here, I was noticing more effort going into some of the the water animation, and even the bubbles coming out of the mouths of the characters when they were speaking, it was just noticeable for some reason in this episode. I, I can't really explain why. But it was so noticeable, and I didn't mind that. I actually didn't mind it. It wasn't distracting to the point that it obviously took away from anything that was happening, but it was distracting in a good way where anytime I was focusing near the top of the helmet, I was just noticing more of the detail and the effort that went around it. So kudos to the animation team. Kudos to those who incorporated the helmets in this way for the episode, and it worked. It worked out in the favor. Uh, So this helmet that SpongeBob puts on that gives him the ability to talk to a peanut and lets us know what's on that peanut's mind. SpongeBob to peanut, come in peanut. What's it saying? It says, it's dark in here. What follows was a real treat for my day because I completely forgot about this very small gag that happens right after uh, Sandy is showing off another nut-related invention she creates, a nut espresso machine, which can take any sort of nut you want and grind it up into a nice drink. She grabs the peanut from SpongeBob's hand, tosses it in the machine, and as he is still wearing the helmet that gives him the thoughts of the nut, he listens to this thing get grinded up. You know what? You should have to listen to this, too. I happened to be eating breakfast at the same time I was watching this episode for the podcast, and I was eating something at the moment that this joke happened. It's the joke I was talking about as a moment you completely forget. I had forgotten about this gag with the nut losing its life and SpongeBob having to listen in on it and the agony. And not that the agony is funny, but the encompassing moment, the absurdity of it is just so out there and it's so dark for spongebob squarepants that i almost just bat out everything that was in my mouth i was able to hold it together i've i've watched this episode and after a second composed myself but in that moment in time forgot just how dark a joke could get from spongebob squarepants so of course with those two inventions sandy is not impressed enough to show those off to her bosses. Next up is a nut-cracking robot, a fully built robot, almost something that you would see Plankton build that is apparently only meant to crack open nuts, but it's a complete failure at it. So that one's shoved out of the way too. And at this point, Sandy has exhausted all of the options of possible inventions that she can show off to her bosses, and she decides to pack it in. She knows that her time in Bikini Bottom is over. They're going to pull the funding. They're going to pull the plug on the tree dome. And she might as well just accept defeat, take the loss, pack up, head back to Texas, and just get it over with now like a Band-Aid instead of trying to waste the rest of the day 
just feeling anxious over this impending doom. Doom! This episode, of course, is very similar to that of season one's Texas, even down to SpongeBob and Patrick sneaking in on Sandy singing a song to herself over her emotions of the current situation. Back in Texas, Sandy was certainly homesick over her home state of Texas and was singing to the world over all of the various items within Texas that she was missing, that she couldn't really have access to within Bikini Bottom. Now, this might show my age a little bit, but I'm speaking from someone who watched this episode when it was new, and even though we didn't have many adventures with Sandy within Bikini Bottom, there was still an understanding of being homesick. I think at that point in time, if you were a kid and you ever encountered the term sleepover or staying over a family member's house, that idea of being homesick definitely entered your head. Or if you were someone who stayed away at a motel or a hotel on vacation and you had that feeling of being homesick, it's a very natural and easy emotion that we can connect with given if you've ever felt homesick in the first place. There are those out there who it doesn't ever really bother them wherever they're at. I certainly would miss things in my home, but I was always able to easily accept wherever I was at in a given notice. Uh, but there are others out there who would never stay away from home until they were adults, until they were literally out at college. It was the first time they ever stayed away from home. That legitimately happens. That's a natural level of being homesick. That's okay. So watching that that Texas episode, we can understand Sandy being homesick, but the overall understanding of Sandy leaving and the weight of, of her going from the characters, I don't think at that time you can understand their emotions 100% equally. Whereas we had only spent maybe two or three adventures with this character and then they're up and leaving. That's, of course, sad. But here we have, years later, seven years later, a scenario where Sandy is not necessarily being homesick but is being forced, possibly forced, out of Bikini Bottom, out of her will. And at this point, we have spent years with this character. So there is a completely different feeling and an emotional weight that comes along with the story at this moment in time and the song that Sandy sings. Just like in Texas, we have another song here that certainly brings a different level of emotion than the sadness that Sandy was feeling in Texas. That was being homesick. This is a feeling of if you were being forced out of your home, if you were being taken away from your friends and family, and it wasn't of your choice, there's that level of emotion being brought here from Sandy. So it's different. I may give the edge to the Texas song only under the idea that I think most people who are not SpongeBob fans could listen to both of these songs and they would say that the one with the more emotional connection would be Texas. I think it's just in its simplicity and it's very relatable in that situation. Whereas this is a character being taken away and you have to be more of a SpongeBob fan. So if you're not a SpongeBob fan, you would probably say Texas is the more emotional song. If you are a SpongeBob fan, you may say that Sandy's song here is a bit more emotional. She 
of course, doesn't want to leave at the bus stop, waiting for the next bus to pick her up. SpongeBob and Patrick decide to step into action to help Sandy and her situation. Why can't they invent something that's going to wow these bosses enough so that Sandy gets to stay in Bikini Bottom? And off they go throughout the entire day to invent whatever it is they're going to invent. They don't have an idea. They're just going to dive into this thing and see what happens. Now, you may not perceive SpongeBob and Patrick as inventors, but we have seen some inventions from these guys before. Of course, Patrick has the idea of inflatable pants. SpongeBob, of course, has had certain business ideas that may also help out in this situation, but he may not be perceived as an inventor. SpongeBob has also been able to invent some pretty wild scenarios to happen out of thin air, so... If any magic is going to happen, I imagine it's going to happen with these two. Out of the get-go, though, SpongeBob seems to be channeling his inner Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory and not Dexter from that other show who soiled the good name of Dexter. But I'm talking about Dexter from Dexter's Lab who frequently would be seen just tightening the bolt of some sort of invention he was working on. It was some undescript piece of metal and spongebob just pulls out some sort of uh item here that he just starts messing with in some sort of random way not in any sort of way that you would see where he was going with this idea as if he had one he was just messing around with stuff and it just reminded me of dexter in that situation every time he pulled out the wrench Happy gibberish woman i have no time for you today much too much has happened so i bid you adieu schedules must have changed because instead of working through the afternoon the two work overnight into the next day where they have created from the silhouette a monstrosity of a machine under a sheet that will be unveiled in due time but knowing that patrick was involved in the invention of this i can only uh, be afraid for the impending doom of our chimps. Doomed, 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 doomed. Right on schedule, the three chimps from Treedome Enterprises Incorporated arrive at Sandy's Treedome and are introduced to two of Sandy's assistants, SpongeBob SquarePants and Mr. Dr. Professor Patrick, who apparently is the one calling the shots here while Sandy is away and eventually going to make her way back to the tree dome, according to these two. But it's actually Dr. Professor Patrick, I'm sorry, Mr. Dr. Professor Patrick, who is calling the shots in this situation as poor SpongeBob SquarePants is just made an intern. And it's unpaid intern SpongeBob's job to show off the invention that him and Patrick have been working on all day that is guaranteed, I'm sorry, Mr. Dr. Professor Patrick and him have been working on all day that is guaranteed to ensure Sandy's career in Bikini Bottom can continue. This invention, it cuts, it massages, it picks your nose, it tunes your ukulele, it is the one, the only, Automatic, back scratcher, hair comber, nose picker, and ukulele tuner, 9,000! 9,000? You gotta be kidding me! There's no way that could be right! This is an absolutely dangerous-looking, cobbled-together mess of a machine. 
and it hasn't even been properly tested by SpongeBob nor Patrick. Neither of them have any idea that this machine can even do what they're claiming it's supposed to do while also being completely safe. And unfortunately, it's poor Lord Reginald who is going to be the guinea pig subject of this machine, which at first is delivering on all the promises that the machine claims to do. It cuts the Lord's hair. It massages his back. It picks his nose to a degree on which he's been able to breathe through those nostrils like this. And out of thin air, all of a the sudden, there's this addition of pudding being offered to the Lord for some reason. SpongeBob and Patrick have no idea of the pudding aspect of this invention. But then we come to the ukulele tuning part. And once the tuning goes wrong, this machine decides to pull an old Double J Jeff Jarrett maneuver and hit the Lord in the head with this ukulele. And all of the sudden... These other pieces of machinery come out of nowhere in the in the sight of Lord Reginald. We have a saw blade, a flamethrower, scissors, a corkscrew, some alien-looking needle contraption, and a taser are all within this machine that SpongeBob and Patrick have built. And after we see the devices of torture that now make this machine look like something you would see out of a Saw movie. It is just seen from the outside, jittering around as the person inside is subjected to whatever tortures your mind can think of as the Lord is screaming in agony. Patrick is excited. The machine is working. If, if someone is screaming in the machine, that means it is properly working. Although Sandy had the opportunity to hop on a bus that would have brought her to such exciting locations like Quittersville, Failurestown, or Failuretown, I don't want to get their name wrong, I don't want to disparage the good name of Failuretown, and Loserberg. Instead, she hears the shouts of Lord Reginald screaming from the tree dome and runs in and saves Lord Reginald in the nick of time by shutting the machine off although it jettisons him out of the machine and he ricochets off of the tree dome like a pinball, hitting the walls, hitting the floor, until he finally comes barreling down, smacking into the ground, uh, creating a trail behind him. And he seems physically okay. It's not as mangled as we've seen some characters in SpongeBob, so we can assume he's he's decent. But in this moment of freakout from Sandy, over all of this situation, the chimps decide to pull her funding. It's over. This is the kind of invention you're going to waste our time showing us with when we come down here. And this is what you're able to create underwater. They start deciding that maybe it's not smart to invest in tree domes in an underwater environment. Maybe the return is not going to be worth it. Dr. Marmalade then pulls out a banana as he's feeling quite tired and his potassium levels are a little bit low once the banana is out in the open that nut cracking robot from earlier instantly grabs the banana and unpeels it in front of their eyes the monkeys no pun intended go ape <laughs> and are belting out their excitement in the most natural way possible over this revelation that once they get a second confirmation on it is determined 
that Sandy has invented something that they have been looking for for 117 years, which I don't think that intends these characters themselves have been looking for this kind of invention for 117 years. But maybe primates in general have been trying to find an invention like this for 117 years, and they've just been a part of that journey. But the invention they've been looking for is an automatic banana peeler. And this robot, although it didn't really have the knack for opening up nuts, was able to unpeel the banana. And therefore, this made Sandy look like the greatest inventor they've ever witnessed, they've ever dealt with. And it's because of her prowess that they're willing to extend her contract for not only more money, but also for another 20 years, which is incredible that SpongeBob SquarePants himself was able to last 20 years as a continuing piece of entertainment. But we're pretty close up to this contract coming up for Sandy, which means we are due for another appearance in some way of Treedome Enterprises Incorporated. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same characters, but Sandy's contract has to be coming up in 2026. That's 20 years from this current contract that was made in this episode. So it'll be interesting to see if in the oncoming seasons, if they ever make another reference to Sandy's uh, uh, contract in the, in the oncoming years. But for now, it seems that these chimps are extremely happy with her progress, and they're still hoping for the eventual automatic poop thrower. You what? See, if you stick with me, things will always make their way back around to some other thing I mentioned. It, it's just what happens here. But one miracle at a time. It took 117 years to finally get an automatic banana peeler. So even if it takes 117 years more to get an automatic poop thrower, these guys are patient. I'm sure they're willing to wait for that that day. But now they don't have to ever unpeel their bananas anymore. And to swing back to something else I mentioned... What happens with Sandy in this episode very much feels like things that have happened to certain individuals in history where their intellect is taken advantage of by someone else who may also be smart in their own right, but have a lot of money behind them. If you're familiar with some of the occurrences behind the scenes of Apple between Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, then... In that way, Sandy is almost the Steve Wozniak in this situation. Steve Jobs has all of the money to pay for the intelligence of Steve Wozniak to work and create, and eventually that floods over. But for now, I don't think Sandy has the, the viewing of what's going on above water with her inventions. She doesn't get to see what happens with that robot once it's up there. It's an invention that these... Chimps have been looking for for 117 years. This is going to come out on the market and make them a lot of money, which I'm hoping they are giving enough to Sandy for her to feel comfortable. At the end of the day, it may not be whatever the amount is or whatever the percentage is. It may not be what you necessarily agree with or what would be the best. But at the end of the day, when someone is being paid for something they make, if they are comfortable and they are happy, 
That's what matters. Sandy gets to remain in Bikini Bottom for a guaranteed 20 years with her friends, her family now. This is exciting for her. So regardless on what those chimps end up doing with that invention, another allegory there with Tesla and Edison, you can you can see the parallels there of, of one doing more of the work and the other one taking... Whatever happens up on dry land means nothing to what is going on in Bikini Bottom. And with what is going on in Bikini Bottom, it's that Sandy gets to stay. That's ultimately what matters. But it is interesting to see Sandy in this moment. She's at least happy that, that these guys are stoked over something she made. She's just happy with that information. But I'm sure even hearing more of what she's getting is, is making the situation even better. But I'm sure there's going to be, over time, more inventions that she creates that they have probably every right to, given whatever contract is signed. I mean, Sandy gets to live this incredible lifestyle in a way and be able to invent in an environment that no one else seemingly underwater is able to do unless they have other tree domes all around the world. That's I imagine that's what is going on, but uh, we don't ever really get to to see that up to this point in the show. So with whatever happens with Sandy and her business is, is her business. If she's happy and she has no problem handing off her inventions to whatever company is doing with them in, in the country, in the land above, that's up to her. That was her contract. She signed. She wants to be here underwater. And even though she may get homesick, this is her home. This is ultimately where she decided to, to spend her adult years and it may not be exactly where she grew up. She has certainly over time become accustomed to those who live around her and has been accepted more and more with the community uh, that, that lives close by. So it's understandable when we reach that emotional moment of the song. Finally, after all these years, to, to get another chance to, to have a moment with Sandy. I don't mind that this episode is essentially another way to do Texas because... It isn't necessarily doing exactly that. There are certain beats that you can see are similar or parallel to that episode, but the emotions come from a different place, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this episode, and with some of the news that was coming out in the world of professional wrestling as of the recording of this episode, January 11th, if you're listening to this, at any point in time in the future, you can certainly go back to January 11th, 2023 and see some of the news and understand if you're a fan of this industry and a fan of that business, why it might turn somebody's day a little sour. But watching this episode and especially having that laugh from that joke really helped out my day, really genuinely made me feel good. And I just have to thank those who worked on this episode. It was a really fun episode. I love when characters go above and beyond for their friends. And honestly, for questions that have been present since the beginning of this show as to why Sandy is here, how she's here, what she's doing here, all of those being finally answered somewhat in this episode, to me, was worth the wait. And it really felt earned after all this time. Even re-watching this episode and trying to go back to what was my mentality when this first aired. What was I thinking? I thought it felt really right. Like, it was time. Hey, Sandy has been here for so long. Why is she here? Who is behind all of this 
money that she seemingly has, all of these gadgets and inventions. And now we have a little bit of that answer, and it's not like it was necessarily needed to enjoy SpongeBob SquarePants, but an episode like this can really resonate with certain fans. And like I said, I may have forgotten some of those early uh, hilarious and emotional bits of this episode, but that's because right when these chimps show up, they steal the show. All of your attention is the fact that there are these new mammals making their way into Sandy's tree dome, interacting with SpongeBob and Patrick. And that entire sequence is just brought to life by three of these fantastic comedians. And I, I enjoyed rewatching this episode. It was a blast. And if you haven't watched it in a while, I would say that up to this point in the season, Chimps Ahoy may make my top five of this season thus far, if that helps you decide if you want to rewatch it again. This is one of the very few SpongeBob episodes that I can think of that has certain beats that are similar to a previous SpongeBob classic, and they may feel safe in that regard. This might feel like a similar path you've been down, but you're in a different vehicle. You are very clearly in a different vehicle going down a similar path, and that's what makes it fun again. It's a new experience and new different kinds of emotions that wouldn't have felt as earned if they decided to do that in season one. Yes, I agree. And that is going to be it for I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. From the bottom of my heart, thank you to each and every one of you who tune into this show week in and week out. And for those of you who are just joining me and us on this sale for the first time, welcome aboard to the Ready Crew. If you would like to show your support, the best way I can think of imaginable is hitting that subscribe button at the YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash at the Captain Eric, or just hit the link in the podcast description below and hit that subscribe button. We are 420 plus making our way to 500, and that is going to be one incredible day. I couldn't even imagine getting to 400, 300, 200, 100. And for those of you who are still here from the beginning, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm too appreciative of all of you who tune in. And for those of you who haven't tuned in to This Week in Nickelodeon History, again, number 45 on YouTube or on Spotify is going to be your main place to check that out. Also, if you are listening to this on Spotify, there is the video version that gets uploaded to YouTube available there as well. Oh, yeah! If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can email the show at spongepodpodcast, that's P-O-D podcast, at gmail.com. You can also find me on social media at I'm Ready Podcast on Twitter and at SpongeBob Podcast on Instagram. If you would also like to go the extra mile and find yourself in the need of some extra Captain Eric in your life, you can click on that Redbubble link in the podcast description below where you can find a bunch of different Captain Eric pieces of art and logos that you can put on a multitude of different products, including stickers, hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, and duvet covers. Redbubble is excellent. I love them. I want to thank them for having the platform they do. And anything that comes in from my projects go directly back into my projects, and it is always appreciated. Guys, Ready Crew, 
Thank you again for joining me on another adventure here on I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. As always, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Take care, everyone. Well, Miss Cheeks, I must say, you have exceeded expectations. It may be the extreme head trauma I've suffered, but I am going to offer you a 20-year contract with a substantial pay rise. I accept. Hooray! I expect great things out of you, Miss Cheeks. Great things. Perhaps you could put your talents toward that automatic poop-throwing machine that's eluded us for so long. Now, now. One miracle at a time. Goodbye.